Our first uh, scripture reading of the morning comes to us from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, very a short passage, just two verses from Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah 29, verses 13 and 14. I invite you to follow along on the screen. The Lord said, because these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is of a human commandment learned by rote, so I will again do amazing things with this people, shocking and amazing. The wisdom of their wise shall perish, and the discernment of the discerning shall be hidden. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Back when I was in college, I had to take a course in human anatomy and physiology, and we had to purchase a textbook called Gray's Anatomy, not like the TV show. But Gray's Anatomy, inside it, describes it as a cone-shaped muscular pump about the size of a human fist. On average, it beats 72 times a minute. That's 4,300 times an hour, 103,000 times a day, 59 million times a year, and it will beat over 4.5 billion times in 75 years. This muscular pump can also handle a lot of volume. It pumps 300 quarts of blood an hour, that's 1,800 gallons a day, 657,000 gallons a year, and in 75 years, it will pump almost 50 billion gallons of blood. Well, of course, by now you know I'm talking about the human heart. <laughs> Jesus was an expert in matters of the heart, and it was the heart that he lifted up to a young lawyer who cornered him one day. This lawyer was missing the kingdom of God by 18 inches, the distance from his head to his heart. I'm beginning a new sermon series titled The Heart of Lens, so over the next six weeks, we're gonna be talking about this, but this week, I'm gonna be talking about you and I having a heart for Jesus Christ. What shape? is your heart in? Does it need a transplant? So join me as we look at our second scripture reading of the morning. It's from Luke chapter 10. Again, a very short passage, verses 25 through 28. Let's take a closer look at this meeting that Jesus has with this young attorney. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 30, uh, 20, 30, uh, 28. I invite you to follow along on the screen. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. And now, oh God, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive that which most would bring us closer to you and enable us to be more Christ-like as we walk in your light, your life, and your love. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, in Israel, the lawyers dissected everything on 
sort of the legal table of life. For example, these holy hair splitters, as I like to call them, took the original Ten Commandments and then subdivided them into 613 precepts of law. 248 thou shalt and 365 thou shalt not. So God was lost in this sea of red tape while debates about the law raged on and on and on. And they would argue, to which was the greatest of those 613 do's and don'ts? Some people said, it's the law concerning sacrifice. And others said, no, 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 it's the law concerning the Sabbath. And still others said, it's the law of circumcision. The big question on everyone's mind was, which was the greatest? One day, a young attorney comes to Jesus looking for his scholarly opinion and sort of framing his question in a legal manner. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, Jesus, how bad can I be and still make it into heaven? What's my bottom line before God? Can, can you spell it out for me? And then ready to jot down the answer on his legal uh, yellow pad, Jesus shocks this lawyer, and maybe you and me today, because this lawyer was looking to pick and choose amongst those 613 do's and don'ts, kind of like the buffet at Shady Maple. Grab what you want and leave alone what you don't. Now, notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say, well, take a look at laws 84 and 206 and 404. Oh, and yeah, for extra credit, you might want to try and precise law number 571. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus slices through all that Talmudic rigmarole with just two words, love God. He doesn't say obey God. He doesn't say, say respect God. He doesn't even say fear God. <coughs> Jesus boils it all down to this, love God. Jesus says our highest obligation in life is to love God. Why? Why would Jesus say that? I think I know it's because love is the fulfillment of the law. It's the alpha point from which our life with God begins, and then it's the omega point which our growth and maturity in God comes to an end. Of course, this may raise a big question for you, and that is, love God how? And the answer comes with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And just in case you're wondering, these are not optional ways of loving God. In other words, pick the one that best suits my personality. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind. Now, I've lived here in Pennsylvania now for over six years, and one of the things that I found is there, are, there is a passion for the local professional sports teams, whether it's the Philadelphia Eagles, good. <laughs> the Phillies, Flyers, the Sixers, or on the, in the college realm, Penn State, you have this unwavering allegiance to your sports team. And it's true regardless of the kind of season that they're having. You have this deep, enthusiastic, passionate, intense love for your team. Well, I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, I want your love. And do you want to know what that tells me? It tells me that God has a personality. And I say that because you can't love 613 do's and don'ts. 
You can't love non-feeling things like your car or your vacation home or my pickleball paddle. You can only love another living being who also thinks, feels, and loves. God is love, and Jesus Christ is walking proof of God's love. The Apostle Paul says it so well in Romans. We love because Jesus Christ first loved us. Now, if you look into the Bible, what you'll find is that God's pet peeve is that we do not love God that way. In fact, many people remind me the man who was asked by his pastor, hey, why don't you come to church more often? And what he said was, well, every time I come, you always sing the same two hymns, Silent Night and Christ the Lord is Risen Today. (laughs) The prophet Isaiah kind of puts his finger on the problem. He says that all too often we are all talk and no action. We're all show and no go. He said, these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. I sometimes love looking at statistics and studies and see what the church trends are, especially post-pandemic. And some of the statistics suggest that people are searching for God. Maybe you've seen some of those. And I have to tell you, I'm not too sure. People may want something spiritual, but it may actually not involve God at all. I think the truth is a lot of people are no more looking for God than a bank robber is looking for the police. In fact, if you read the Bible, people always seem to be running away from God. Back in Genesis, Adam and Eve sin in the garden, and they run away and hide from God. Later on, God's people are freed as slaves in Egypt, and they go into the wilderness, and they're complaining, and they're moaning, and they're whining. And then God personally guides them to a land flowing with milk and honey. But no sooner do they get into that land than they they break away from God and they make other gods. So think about this. God was rebelled against in the garden. He was rebuffed in the wilderness and he was rejected in Canaan. But God still keeps on coming. And God's love in Jesus Christ came face to face to the cross. God kept right on loving And with his arms stretched out about as wide as they could go, with Jesus' last dying breath, he said to you and me, I love you. Then there's that famous scene at the end of John's gospel. This is after the resurrection. Jesus is walking along the shore having a conversation with Peter. And Jesus turns to him and asks, Peter, do you love me? Now, he didn't ask Peter, do you go to church on Sunday? Do you, do you attend a Bible study? Do you, do you serve on a committee? Do you sing in the choir? Have you contributed to the capital campaign? Why, why doesn't Jesus ask any of those questions? Because those questions pale in comparison to the one that is first and foremost in the mind of God. Do you love me? In other words, Where do I rank when it comes to your job, your health, your family? Am I your all in all? Jesus asked Peter one question, but he asked the same question three times. So what do you think God wants from you and me? Love, love, 
and more love. How does God want us to love him? With our minds? Of course. With the strength of our hands? Absolutely. But God also wants the affection of our hearts. Friends, the greatest gift that you can give to God is some real estate, and that is your heart. I love the stories told of a monk who discovered this priceless gem, and he carried it around with him in his knapsack. One day he was walking through a forest, and he met a traveler who was in need, and he asked the monk for some provisions. So that monk stuck his hand in his knapsack, and wouldn't you know it, his hand wrapped around that priceless stone. And impulsively he pulled it out, and he gave it to the traveler who was in need. Well, the traveler was speechless at this unexpected treasure, and he ran off into the forest, elated because of this surprising act of generosity from the heart. Well, several days later, the traveler tracked down the monk, and he handed him back that priceless stone. And then he said, would you give me something more precious than this stone? Would you give me what prompted you to give me this stone? Heart love is just that, is a gift from the heart. Let me ask you a couple of questions. You have to be honest with yourself. When was the last time you had such an emotional encounter with God that it almost brought you to the verge of tears? When was the last time you were in worship here and you got a lump in your throat the size of those red hymn books? Or maybe a time that the communion tray came by, and as you took that cup, you knew in your heart that that was Christ's blood shed for you. Friends, this is the kind of heart love that God wants from us as his people. Well, Jesus does, or doesn't stop there because we also to love our neighbor from the heart. And just as our hearts are near to the middle of our chest, so is the heart central to this verse in, in Luke's gospel. The word heart, I shared this on Wednesday at the Ash Wednesday service, appears something like 540 times in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That's more than soul, strength, and mind combined. At the heart of the matter, Jesus says that we are to love our neighbor. Now we all have people in our lives who are really, really difficult to love. I don't know, you may be sitting next to someone right now. <laughs> or you may be watching and listening to someone like that right now. You know, all too often our relationships will be with hearts that are hardened or angry like we saw or, or sometimes even indifferent. So maybe what would help us is to make our hearts just a little bit softer as we love our neighbors. And what that means is that we have to be willing to open up our hearts to people. And sometimes we think it has to be these grandiose expressions of love, but you know, the little things matter too. I'll show love to my neighbor. I'll come and repair your sink, or I'll try to fix your computer, or I'll help move you into your new apartment. Bette Midler sings, some say love it is a river that drowns the tender reeds. Some say love it is a razor that leaves the soul to bleed. Some say love it is a hunger, an endless aching need. I say love it is a flower, but you must plant the seed. 2,000 years ago, God planted the love of his seed in a manger in Bethlehem. 
that seed grew and blossomed to be blood red on the cross of Jesus Christ. And even the cold underground of the tomb, holding Jesus' body, when nothing seemed to be going on or happening, God was getting ready to do his best work. And in six weeks on Easter, we will celebrate that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead so that we might bloom again. And so let's, in this season of Lent, deepen our hearts for Jesus Christ so that we might blossom and flourish both now and forever. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, we want to have a heart for you, and we know that you care for us at the most intimate and deepest level of our lives. We thank you for your divine love that reaches down into the very depths of our being and heals even our deepest hurts. We thank you for the precious ties that, that link us to other Christians through the bonds that we share. Protect our hearts, O oh God, and strengthen our faith as you link us to yourself and to one another. And we pray all this in the majestic and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.